0: Psalm seventy three is a Psalm of Asaph, who was one of the three recognized musicians of David. The other two are Herman and Ethan. Asaph was one who organized and conducted the choirs. While he may not <clears throat> while we may not know a great deal about Asaph, it is quite clear to the readings of this psalm that with all that we see, his experience and struggles with fence gazing is quite similar to many of us. When you read the first part of this psalm, you may think this is a very uplifting psalm. Verse 1, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's a beautiful confession. That God is good for the pure in heart. At least it sounds that way. And then wham! You're left with a real sense of utter despair. Maybe that is someone who throws up their hands in the air in surrender or in anguish saying, what's the use? There is something most, if not all of us, can resonate with, being in despair. God's word doesn't say we'll live a carefree life. In fact, it says that we should expect trouble. The refreshing news is we're in good company. Job 21, 7, we see his lament. Why do we see the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? Have you not ever felt this way? I know I have. Sometimes I think, why can they get anything they need and want and not me? Why do others seem to live on easy street and some of us on some other back street? It just doesn't seem right. The psalmist's lament begins with a confession, but also cushioned with hope as he says, I almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. As people are used to snow and ice due to our winters, we have no problem visualizing or experiencing slipping and sliding, almost losing our foothold. The word picture receive is very clear. The big difference here is that we're not talking about slipping on ice, spraining a wrist, or maybe breaking a bone. No, this psalmist is speaking of his faith, a far more serious dilemma, complete with eternal ramifications. He says, I envied or I wanted to be like the arrogant. Why? Money, wealth, property, assets, possessions, toys. It seems to entrench many of us, doesn't it? God warns us not to go down that road in the Ten Commandments. Exodus twenty seventeen: You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. To the psalmist, there doesn't seem to be a bad side. As the psalmist says, they don't seem to struggle, They have healthy bodies and no burdens. In our commercialism society, we may often come to the conclusion that we could just buy our way out of any trouble. If we should get in debt, that's okay, because there are credit agencies that will help us get out of that too. They will all cost us in the end. Congregation, there's only one free gift. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God That is the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The psalmist continues as he laments about the arrogant, observing how good life seems to go for them. It goes so well that they wear pride as a chain. Now, this phrase, this wearing pride as a chain, it has some allusions to that day where where if a settlement would conquer another settlement, they might take their jewelry of the conquered foe, and they would, they would fashion to into his big emblem that they would wear around their neck. So as they walked among, they would know that, I own you, I've conquered you. If you will, they would shove it down their throats. The arrogance displayed, says the psalmist, is so great that it doesn't stop at the dominance over the people. They go further. And as the Bible puts it, they blaspheme God. They do not fear His power and rail upon Him because they esteem themselves above all others. One could say that they act and talk like Pharaoh in Exodus 5, verse 2, where Pharaoh says, Who is this Lord that I should obey His voice? The prosperous, ungodly man has people flocking to him. As troops of soldiers will follow their commander, no matter what. Even though at times it may lead to slaughter, they are foolishly led astray. So are the faithful led astray. They fall into evil thoughts and wicked imaginations. When short-lived prosperity ungodly dazzles their eyes. So says John Calvin. And in verse 11 it says they start to call into question whether there is knowledge. The psalmist utters in verse 12 as a closing to the section... This is what the wicked are like. He has spent the last nine verses painting a picture of what the evildoers of his day are living like. This is not the first time such a picture is laid out by a man of God. Again, Job 21. If you read verses 7 to 15, we have a very similar portrayal of the wicked and how they appear to have it all. These two descriptions of the ungodly painted a very vivid picture. For the initial hearers of the day. Just as you and I had no problem visualizing the person slipping on ice. As I depicted earlier, so these folks have no problem seeing or picturing the perceived prosperity of the wicked. In these two scripture readings, as likely many of them had observed the same thing. The writers were merely identifying the elephant in the room as it were. If you remember, the beginning of this message, I spoke about looking over the fence just to see how the neighbor was making out. This is exactly what Job and the psalmist are doing. It's no different for us. We all may struggle with similar thoughts of fence gazing. Can you imagine what it was like for King David? This is a man God has chosen to be the next king of Israel. He's running from Saul, living in caves, getting by on whatever they could. While he could, he might even say he should have been in the palace living on rich foods and extravagance. It's not that really much different for us. How often don't we look at others and maybe even thinking, why, God, do I struggle while worshiping you? And -and so-and-so has everything. They're living in a lap of luxury. Furthermore, they're getting everything they desire. The big question lies in front of us now. At what point, at what point does my checking out my neighbor's new truck, admiring the beauty, cross over to a lack of contentedness, transform further into an all-out coveting of my neighbor's possessions? In the same way, to what extremes will I go to own that truck? to get it into my heart and mind that I must have it, no matter what the cost or the sacrifice. Then we finally have the point in the psalm that we've been waiting for. The psalmist is putting on the brakes, if it were, and he says, if I were to speak these thoughts. And we see that these thoughts, these were thoughts he was processing, not making them audible to others. In fact, he says, had I said them, it would have been a detriment to my children. He goes even further by saying, even thinking these things has been quite painful. The psalmist continues in his seemingly downward spiral. In disgust, he says, What's the use? From From all I see, there's no real advantage to worshiping God. That's extreme. And to walk in His ways. It is the wicked that are profitable and not high. He continues with his lament. With all all day long, I have been tormented, picked on. This is not foreign to us. We might see or hear phrases like, you never listen to me. You always favor so and so ahead of me. This is where we have our turning point in this psalm, where he enters worship with God. His mind is clear and he understands their final destiny. Clarity comes as he enters worship with God. We see again how similar we are. When we come to worship, we enter our time with Christ, and we release our struggles of the previous week, and we rest in Christ Jesus and His finishing work. Our problems don't go away. Don't get me wrong. But through forgiveness, receiving and giving, we are often able to put them behind us. We should not be quick to view the psalmist's remarks of final destiny as an immediate or soon-to-come judgment due to having comfort and luxury. But more as a parallel of Luke 16, the story of Lazarus, where the rich man received his luxuries on earth, but Lazarus would receive them in heaven. The riches of this earth are temporary, just as this earth is our temporary dwelling. The blessings we truly seek are the blessings we receive in our future home in Christ in glory. Through this next section we are spectators as we see the Psalmist come into the reality that the Lord God is in control. He's in control of all things. In this season of despair the Psalmist failed to see the guiding hand of God and describes a scene as him a beast and an ox before the Lord. He once again is humbled before God and sees how he was and is under the providential care of God. The psalmist recognizes that he was selling God short. He was so consumed with his personal situations in despair as he thought everything was against him. In distress, he takes God out of the picture. Now with his new or renewed vision, he once again understands and is assured that the care he is under is not just for this age. But God's care is complete. He understands that God extends care past this earthly life when he states in verse 24, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. The faith of this psalmist is restored. With this statement, he professes that he is fully assured that God not only has a place in heaven for him, but he also knows that God will guide his steps while he still walks on earth. As awesome as this confession is, he goes even further. When he closes out this psalm where he states his reliance on the Lord God. But he also commits to stay near his Lord, making or reasserting that the Lord is his refuge. On top of all that, he has committed himself to be an ambassador for God as he pronounces that he will tell of all God's deeds. Wow, what a confession. Scripture is full of life-changing, life-altering events when people came in contact with God. One I like even more so since recently listened to a message from uh, Francis Chan was Zacchaeus, who not only believed in Jesus Christ, but also... Now picture this. We all know a story about Zacchaeus. He's a man who viewed money as everything, right? Right? His friends, friends were irrelevant. He literally ripped off everyone. But when he came face to face with Jesus Christ, well, suddenly money meant nothing to him. He says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, which we know he has, If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now think about this a second. How much do you think he has left after all this? This is a man who cheated everyone, and now suddenly, money means nothing. The same message is spoken by Jesus in the New Testament, meaning behind the parables of the treasure in the field and the pearl. Once we are introduced to Jesus, all other things pale in comparison. They literally are of no account. Now, you might be tempted to say, yes, I agree, that's a great confession. But what good does that do for me living in 2014? That was a long time ago. Things have changed. Have they? Have they really? The key thought and idea in this psalm is the writer's eternal destiny. I mentioned early on that the writer, which is Asaph, had a rough go of things as he observed his troubles and the ease of life of the ungodly. And he states how he almost slipped, he almost lost his foothold. The question for each one of us is, where is your foothold? Does it depend on what kind of shoes you wear? Not at all. Being secure in your walk is not how strong you are. Rather, it is how secure is the one holding you. As long as Jesus Christ is holding on, as long as Jesus Christ is our anchor, even in death, we will not lose our foothold. There's an old story out of the uh, Alpha video series, which uh, at Tuesday Night Youth we have gone through this year, that uh, our youth should remember this, or at least I hope they do. It's a story of this guy, the greatest tightrope walker of all time. His name was Blondin, who it seems had just made numerous crossings across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. On one occasion as he was touring all around. On one occasion, his royal dignitary was in attendance. And after Blondin crossed Niagara Falls time and time again, and then he went back and he grabbed a wheelbarrow and he went time and again back. And then he threw sacks of sand into the wheelbarrow and he went back and forth a bunch of times. At that point, he went to the, went to the duke that was visiting. And he asked the duke whether he believed that that he could take a person across the falls in his wheelbarrow. And the Duke said, Yeah, yeah, I believe you could. He said, well, Get in. And the Duke says, Uh uh-uh. uh. He, well, he said, I could do it. He said, Uh uh-uh. uh. And he kind of sheepishly backed away. And as he's talking, this, this old lady comes out of the crowd and she crawls into the wheelbarrow. She says, Let's go. Amazing, eh? The old lady was his mother. She had complete trust. She knew Him. And she knew what He was depending on, the ropes, the anchors. She had full trust in Him. How about you? Can you also say with the Apostle Paul, as recorded in Romans 8, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, Nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the beginning of this service, we read the law, and at times we read it or recite it, we may just glaze over it as old hat. Just want to close by looking again at verse 17. Commandment number 10. This is how the contemporary English version puts it. Do not want anything that belongs to someone else. Do not want someone's house, wife or husband, slaves, oxen, donkeys, or anything else. As long as we put our trust in our own devices, we will say with the psalmist, My feet are... Almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. But listen instead to what God says to us in Deuteronomy 31. After all, He's the anchor. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. With that trust, knowing His grip is so much stronger than ours, we can say with confidence You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Amen. Let's pray.